Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast episode 59 coming to you this evening we are one week away from week zero and two weeks away from mac football and and the full slate on week one our first full slate of college football in in almost two years i know you everyone out there is excited for it as are we as always i am zach follador joined by my co-host steve helwick steve how you doing tonight man i'm doing excellent tonight and uh, it's fun as the AP poll just came out this week. So we're getting a little college football news around the corner. We can start debating about rankings and who's too high, too low. So that's one sign, you know, that the season's here. That's it. Everything that happens as football season approaches is it's all happening for us right now. So this is no longer a drill football. It really truly is right around the corner. Let's get started with what you just mentioned there, Steve, though. The, obviously, the AP preseason top 25 poll came out this week. Ball State representing uh, the MAC there, six, uh, six, receiving six votes in the poll. So, obviously, not in the top 25, but still in the, you know, that, that others receiving votes category. Not necessarily a bad place to be. You love to see a group of five team, and especially a MAC team like Ball State, getting a little bit of love there. First MAC team to receive votes in the preseason poll since 2016 Toledo. I should say the AP preseason poll since 2016 Toledo. Uh, Steve, I, I, you know, the coaches poll came out a couple weeks ago, and so we had, you know, Ball State got a couple of votes there. But as we were just talking about, the AP poll really kind of the true gauge. And you love to see a team like Ball State coming off of a, a great season last year, get some respect there. And even you see some other group of five teams in the top 25, Coastal Carolina at 22, Louisiana at 23, team like Cincinnati up in the top 10 at number eight. Uh, you love to see that group of five representation there in the AP preseason top 25. Yeah, I think Ball State appearing in the poll as a result of having 20 of 22 returning starters, only losing a cornerback in Antonio Phillips and a wide receiver in Antoine Davis. Well, also running back Caleb Huntley, who sat halfway through the season and wasn't part of some of those last games that year. But still, Ball State returns almost the entire core last year that took down an undefeated ranked Buffalo team and then an undefeated ranked Mountain West, San Jose, Mountain West champion San Jose State team in the Arizona Bowl. So Ball State's definitely deserving of a couple of votes here and there. And they probably won't be ranked after beating their FCS team, Western Illinois, on week one. But then when you look to week two, they have a matchup against a team that's currently ranked in the AP poll, a Penn State team looking for looking for a resurrection season after a, a tough 2020 for the Nittany Lions. So I think that could be a sneaky good game in the Happy Valley between the Cardinals and the Nittany Lions, uh, given that the atmosphere that's always there in state college and just a ball state team hungry for another appearance in the AP poll and another Mac championship. So I, I think this is going to be a good ball state team and they're going to have some tests early to prove that they belong. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, you know, you look at how much they have returning, almost everyone of significance is back. And um, you know, it's, it's just, I think, even before this happened, before you get some votes in the AP top 25 poll, I think the Ball State team, even the whole, you know, the entire fan base definitely had that trip to Beaver Stadium circled on their schedule already. I think this just adds a little bit more to it. I will be at that game and I am really looking forward to that. I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, we're going to do a deep dive on Ball State next week in our final uh, week of season previews, but I look at a Penn State team with a new offensive coordinator that's coming off of a rocky season last year. You have some questions, you know, um, Sean Clifford, the starting quarterback did not have a great year last year. You have some questions on the offensive line. You know, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying that ball state's going to go into happy Valley and win that game, 
But I think the last time I checked, I believe the spread there was 21, if I'm not mistaken. And that feels like too many points to me. I don't know. Maybe you disagree with that, Steve. But I feel like Ball State could keep it within two touchdowns of Penn State. Uh, I, I think I could see that. I don't think we ever really saw Penn State's offense click until that Illinois game last year. There were some good defensive performances that they put up early in the season, but it wasn't until that final game against Illinois where their offense looked explosive to me and they were just getting passes down the field and breaking open for long runs. So Penn State's going to have to find that under their new offensive coordinator, Mike Yurichich from Texas. And Ball State, you don't really have too much of – an explosive offense there. Ball State's more of a methodical team, and that's how they beat Buffalo and San Jose State in their past years. But they're very balanced. Uh, they have Justin Hall, who can really attack on end arounds and downfield as a receiving threat. You have a lot of good defenders on that team, four all Mac linebackers, great safety, and Bryce Cosby. And I just think that Ball State has probably the the balance that you'd want to have as a Mac team that really doesn't have a glaring weakness in its game so that's yeah. a good recipe to formulate an upset the 21 point spread might be a little large i think to start out especially since it's only a week two game but yeah. it's going to be an interesting measuring stick to see how the cardinals are this year and also to see what the nittany lines are made of i agree yeah not an easy start to the season for penn state this year you go to wisconsin week one you mm -hmm. get ball state week two auburn week three uh, tough, a tough way to start the year. That's, that's a tough three weeks right there. I think we're going to learn all we need to know about the Nittany Lions there in the first three weeks of the season. But, um, but anyway, so yeah, so Ball State with, uh, with six votes in the, uh, in the AP poll here preseason. Obviously, I think Ball State fans are very excited by that. And, you know, everything they, they have, all the tools they need to be able to compete for a MAC championship again this year. Moving into our season previews, though, here, Steve, is one of the other teams that a lot of people – uh, are picking to win the MAC this year, and a team that has also has all the tools to compete with Ball State, and that's Kent State. Obviously, they're in the Eastern Division, so they wouldn't be meeting the Cardinals until uh, they got to Ford Field. But this is a Kent State team, Steve. We talked about it a little bit last week when we mentioned uh, the the Sean Lewis contract extension. But I mean, this is a team that has really kind of res been resurrected from the dead here in the last two or three years with, uh, with Sean Lewis implementing his, uh, his flash fast offense there led the nation in total yards and in points per game last season. They only got to play four games. So maybe take that with a little bit of a grain of salt, but a lot of, uh, a lot of returning firepower on offense, 10 starters back. And obviously it all starts with Dustin Crum. Kent state on paper has everything you want this year. Steve, if the defense can improve a little bit. Yes. Dustin Crum is the engineer that makes us all go. If college football had a most improved player award, he has to be the front runner in the 2019 season, I guess, along with Joe Burrow, who also had a nice season. But <laughs> sure, where yeah. you, when you consider the starting point that Dustin Crum was in the Paul Haynes era to where he is today, it's unfathomable. I just remember when he was competing with the starting job for Woody Barrett, and I was wondering, why isn't Woody Barrett the runaway guy for this job? And then Crum had that game in 2019 against Bowling Green where Kent State put up 750 yards of offense. And from that game forward, I said, yes, Crum's a starter. Kent State's offense is the real deal. And it's not just, uh, it's not just a, an aspect of Bowling Green's defense being that miserable. Dustin Crum was that good. In that season, we saw him complete 69% of passes. We saw him throw for almost 3,000 yards and have 20 touchdowns compared to two interceptions. And we also saw him run uh, wild with over 700 yards, six touchdowns, great specialist in the read option. And he would have just surpassed all those numbers last year if you extend the season to the 13 games that he played in 2019. He increases completion percentage to about 74%, which is kind of absurd. Only threw two touchdowns last year and 12, uh, only threw two interceptions last year and threw 12 touchdowns in four games. And if you multiply that by three, he's almost touching 40 touchdowns. So Crum would have had an excellent uh, time passing last year. And he also had four rushing touchdowns, averaging one per game in that limited 2020 season. Dustin Crum mainly played perfect, primarily played uh, perfect football last year. And I expect a lot of that to continue this year with Kent State, even though they did have somewhat of a soft schedule last year and playing Akron and Bowling Green, but still the Golden Flashes offense 
just watching them in 2019 alone was enough to signify that they'd be at this point sooner rather than later. So Crum makes it all go. And then I like their running back options. They have three really good running backs uh, that kind of rotate in a running back by committee returning. They lose their star receiver in Isaiah McCoy, but they have a lot of good other options that seem transfers yeah. that I expect to start in the offense. Guys that were with Sean Lewis when he was the offensive coordinator in Syracuse in 2017, and that's wide receiver Nikeem Johnson and tight end Aaron Hackett, who I think are going to be great additions to this offense and guys that Lewis is already familiar with. So offensively, there's not a team in the MAC I like more than Kent State right now. They just have all the tools to put up the points. Their offensive line is all returning from last year. Uh, two guys that got all max selections there. So there's not a single weak point. The offense, the defense would be my concern on them reaching to Detroit, but th this offense is something special. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, I, let, let's, uh, you know, just to kind of add to what you said about Dustin Crum, I think it's, it's hard to, um, it's hard to kind of quantify, as you said, the improvement that he made over the course of his career thus far. But if you look at him over the last two years, since he took over that, uh, that starting job from Woody Barrett, I mean, if you just look at these numbers, you know, 70.3% completion percentage, 299 for 425, 3,800 yards, 32 touchdowns, four interceptions. The other thing about him, Steve, is that people that don't watch the Mac or follow Kent state closely might not realize, but there's a dual threat component to his game as well. Over that same time span, he's rushed for almost a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns uh, last year, even just in four games, 160, 168, uh, hold on, excuse me. I, I'm sorry. 44 carries, 240 yards, five and a half yards per carry last year and four touchdowns rushing in four games. So in addition to that running back group that you mentioned, you got Marquez Cooper and Brian Bradford coming back, both of who are, are, are very young, capable backs. And then you add in the, the dual threat of Dustin Crum there as well. This is a very, very potent rushing attack. I mean, they averaged 283 yards a game on the ground last year, uh, which is, you know, the, the balance on offense for them is quite incredible. I mean, you average 600 yards, 606 yards of offense, 283 on the ground, 323 through the air that balance makes it so hard for opposing defenses. And you mentioned the wide receiving core losing Isaiah McCoy. That certainly does hurt. But just Sean Pope coming back, you mentioned Nikeem Johnson and Aaron Hackett as well. I did want to talk a little bit about the offensive line too, because as you mentioned, everyone's back there. This is, I mean, they only gave up five sacks in four games last year. So I think even as much as Dustin Crum and the skill position guys are really what get a lot of the attention I don't think enough respect is given to how good this offensive line is, how talented this offensive line is. You mentioned guys like um, Bill Kuduk and, and uh, you know, a bunch of those other veteran starters on the offensive line. This is a very, very good offensive line group as well. Yeah, Bill Kuduk, who played both uh, left tackle and right tackle last year, starting in both positions. He's he's very versatile piece on that line. And then Nathan Monin, who's been a guard with the program for a long time. Uh, Kuda came from Kansas State, which is known for good, beefy lines, and they've had a lot of guys that they've sent to the NFL, guys like B.J. Finney and Dalton Reisner in recent years that have performed at a high level there. So Kuda's brought him a product of that system, and now he seems to be bringing that to Kent State, and their offensive line's really improved. And sometimes when you have uh, mobile quarterbacks, you're expected to give up a lot of sacks because sometimes those guys will be like Kyler Murray, and they just try to fight for – just whatever they can in the pocket, try to make something out of a play and they get stacked. But Crum really doesn't do that much. And I think a lot of that's credit to him and credit to the offensive line. And we, we like to throw around the term dual threat quarterback. I mean, I'm even guilty of this as sports writers for guys that can run, but we don't always apply it to whether they're a great passer or not. And that's the thing about mm -hmm. Dustin Crum is he's incredible in both aspects. I don't think I've seen many quarterbacks master just a zone read as well as Dustin Crum and I love watching footage of all the plays that Kent State ran in dire situations in the 2019 Frisco Bowl against Utah State because every single one was run to perfect execution every third and short every fourth and short Sean Lewis called a perfect play and Crum executed it perfectly he makes such good reads out of linebackers he makes such good reads out of defensive backs and that is just why Kent State operates so well in short yardage situations. 
I think they were seven for eight last year on fourth down conversions, which is pretty ridiculous. And just in dire situations, they always step up with the right play call and Crom makes great decisions. And I think that the pieces around him are pretty good this year. You have three running backs with uh, very diversifying skill sets. You have Brian Bradford, who's just an absolute tank at six foot and about 240 pounds. Then you have Xavier Williams, who's just a ball of speed for this team. And then, yeah, and then with the main guy that Kent State has in the running game, that's Marquez Cooper. And he had the most rushing yards on the team last year with 282. So having that running back committee by committee keeps fresh legs and I think keeps this offense more versatile, able to run more sets in the backfield. So I think, I mean, there's a reason this, why this team only trailed Air Force last year in rushing yards per game. And I just think that they have a lot of great pieces back there. And that's something that's going to make this offense really deadly this season. Completely agree. I mean, you look at Marquez Cooper, 5'6", 180 pounds, and Brian Bradford, six foot 245. You can't get much more of a, a thunder and lightning dynamic there. And then you throw in uh, Xavier Williams and Dustin Crum as well. You mentioned that 2019 Frisco Bowl, which some, some people might kind of consider Dustin Crum's coming out party. Well, obviously on the other sideline that night, you had first round draft pick Jordan Love from Utah State. You look at the box score of that game. I mean, Jordan Love threw for 317 yards as he did always in college. You know, he seemed like he was throwing for 300 yards every week. But I mean, you look at the other side there, Dustin Crump, 21 for 26, 289 yards, two touchdowns, also 147 rushing yards and a touchdown there. I don't think anyone would disagree that Dustin Crump kind of outplayed Jordan Love in that game. And obviously Kent State got the win there, 51 to 41. I'm not saying that Dustin Crum is going to be a first round draft pick, but he definitely has potential, you know, to, to get drafted and, and, you know, make it, make a name for himself at the next level. Let's talk about the defense here a little bit. Wait, just on one point. Sir, go ahead. Oh, right before we talk about the defense, 21 of 26, that's over 80% completions. He's done that twice in his last five games. The quarterbacks don't ever do that. The last time he actually wow. had below 64% completion percentage in a game would have been, 10 games ago against Miami, Ohio in 2019. It's been that long since he's had a poor game. That's also the last time that he had more interceptions and touchdowns in a game. Wow. And that was just zero touchdowns, one interception. So the efficiency he plays with is just astounding. And he's going to lead Kent State far, but now it just comes down to what the defense does. So exactly, that's exactly right. And, and, and so let's, let's talk about that here, Steve, because – when it comes to Kent State, nobody has any questions about the offense, I don't think. But when you look at this defense, um, you know, everyone remembers them giving up 70 points to Buffalo last year and allowing the, bull, the Bulls to, to run for, uh, what was it, 515 yards in that game. I mean, Jared Patterson and Kevin Marks, both. what did Jared Patterson have, seven touchdowns in that game, if I remember correctly? He had eight, which is tied for the FBS yeah. record with Howard Griffith of Illinois and Kalen Bellage of Arizona State, who's currently in the NFL on the Steelers. So there, there you go. I mean, that, I mean, that performance right there obviously is going to skew the numbers a little bit when you give up 500 yards rushing and 70 points in one game. But when you look at the rest of their games too, I mean, gave up 35 to Akron, 24 to Bowling Green. That was the most points either of those teams scored all year, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, there, there's issues here on defense. You were last in the conference in rushing defense, or I'm sorry, next to last in the conference in rushing defense, 262 yards a game, only 162 yards a game through the air. But I think that's kind of similar to what we talked about with Bowling Green, where Bowling Green and Kent State, the top two teams in the, in the, uh, in the conference, in terms of pass defense. Only reason for that, though, is because teams knew that they could run the ball on them at will. So I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the defense this year, Steve. I know you wrote a couple great articles about, you know, pre previewing their, you know, their front seven and the secondary. And I agreed with a lot of what you said in that group, especially in the defensive backs. You know, I, I, I like they have some, some seniority, some veterans in the, in the secondary that I think will help this year. But there's still a lot of holes here. Only, uh, what do we have, eight eight returning starters, you could debate whether or not that's a good thing with some of the performances they put up last year. What needs to improve from your perspective on the defensive side of the ball? To learn how to come off blocks and they need to learn how to tackle. So many times last year, running backs, Mitch, just 
untouched and they allowed three they played four games last year three of those games they allowed a running back to have at least 160 yards and this wasn't just Jarrett Patterson who produced all world numbers against everyone he had 409 by the way which is the second most in FBS history they allowed Akron's Teon Dollar to have his breakout game with 202 yards and four touchdowns that's why Akron put up 35 points on them and then Bowling Green, who couldn't do anything offensively last year, their running back, Terrian Stewart, had 162 yards and two touchdowns on Kent State's defense. They just get burned so much at the line of scrimmage, and opposing offensive lines have no issue just creating gaps and just parting, parting the sea against this Kent State defense. So they really need to learn how to be more physical, come off blocks, and then just learn how to hit at the line of scrimmage, stop allowing – missed tackles broken tackles and running backs getting to the second and third level because at that point it gets too late and then next thing you see is a guy going to the end zone last year so Kent State's run defense was pretty atrocious last season and that's going to be the main aspect they really need to improve on because they just when you score 50 points a game you can't go back and allow what 38 points a game that they allowed with 114th in college football it was just an unacceptable level of defense last year and that's something that really needs to be straightened out if they want to be MAC championship contenders I think I think what they have in the secondary is fine and I like the secondary with the returning cornerback and KJ Sherald who was pretty good two seasons ago but just the front seven they they, they need to learn how to stop this run or else Kent State I mean, Kent State can lose to anybody if if they can't learn how to stop their run. I mean, if Akron's going to put up 35 points, all it takes is a turnover or two, and then you're losing to maybe some of the worst teams in the MAC. So I need to see more out of this defense this year if I want to believe that this Kent State team is a contender. Completely agree. And and I would echo your concerns with what you said, where, where most of my issues here, or my concerns, I should say, lay with the front seven. I mean, on the defensive line, you get Zayn West back. He leads the group there. I, I do like him uh, He at, at defensive tackle, but uh, we need other guys to step up around him. And, and who is that going to be? You know, guys like Jabbar Price, CJ West, guys like that. They had some moments last year, but it wasn't really consistent. I think you have Zayn West, you have one solid defensive lineman, but you can't get by with one solid defensive lineman there. I think you're going to need some of the younger guys to step up. Same thing with the linebackers. I mean, you got Mandela Lawrence Burke back who um, has, you know, he's, he's kind of been a leader there. He's, He's a uh, what he's in his fifth year now with with the flashes as well. You get a couple of other power five transfers here uh, in the linebacking core Syracuse transfer Juan Wallace. And then um, the other thing that's interesting to me is that last year's leading tackler Dean Clark uh, was who was played strong safety last year. They're moving him to outside linebacker as well, at least based on the you know, some of the articles I was reading. So I'll be curious to see how that works out this team. You know, they do have their top four tacklers back from last season. But as you said, I don't know if it was a scheme issue last year or if it was just, you know, a lack of talent. But you're right. The, 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 the way the tackling and, and the shedding of blocks didn't seem to really be there. I mean, you, you allow Bowling Green six yards a carry and 260 yards rushing. They averaged about 180 yards rushing a game last year. So you allow Bowling Green to go 80 yards over their, uh, their season average. And then same thing with, uh, with Akron, you know, you allow them to go for 212 yards rushing and over five yards per carry. Same thing with them. They only averaged about 140 yards rushing a game last year. So when you're out allowing teams at the bottom of the conference like that to outperform, uh, you know, what, what we've seen from them, that is certainly concerning I do. I, I think I don't have any issues with the past defense. As you said, I think there's a lot of, of, of veteran leadership there on the back end. But again, if you can't stop the run, it doesn't matter how, how well you can cover the pass. If teams are going to be able to grind out the clock against you and put together long drives and, you know, pick up six or seven yards of carry, that's certainly a concern. And there's, there's certainly uh, some work to do here on the defensive side of the ball for, uh, for the golden flashes. Now, the other thing about this here, Steve, is that when you look at uh, Kent State's schedule, their non-conference schedule, I know they, they came out publicly and said this a couple years ago, that their non-conference scheduling philosophy moving forward was going to be, 
We're going to play three bye games on the road against power five programs. And then we're going to play one FCS team at home, right? They want those, those guarantee, quote unquote, guarantee game paychecks. Well, that year, this year, that manifests itself with trips to college station uh, to take on Texas A&M in week one. Then you go to Iowa city in week three to take on Iowa and to uh, college park to take on Maryland in week four. I know you'll be at the Texas A&M game, Steve, and, and we've talked a little bit about that game. Um, I don't think either of us see Kent State necessarily winning that game, but I think that might be a closer game than a lot of people might realize. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on the Iowa and the Maryland game. I feel like uh, from the outside looking in, it certainly seems to me like Maryland is going to be the best chance for Kent State to, to pull an upset there. Not that I think it's completely out of the question with Iowa. I don't think either of those teams are on the level of Texas A&M. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that, though. Obviously, Maryland has struggled a little bit over the last few years with Mike Loxley. They have some good talent back, but they don't seem like they've been able really to put it all together. I don't think they really have that great of a chance of beating Iowa as much as I want to hype up this offense to say how great it is. Iowa's just a team that's always very sound defensively. And last yeah. year, I don't think people realized how good Iowa's offense was in the middle of the season and how dominant the Hawkeyes were after that uh, rough 0-2 start where they were still trying to figure things out. Because Iowa last year, they blew through opponents. They blew through Michigan State. They blew through Penn State and a couple other teams. They did lose a pair of receivers on that offense, but I still like a lot of the returning pieces. Their offensive line should be pretty good this year. Sam Laporta, I think, might be an All-American tight end this year for the Hawkeyes. And Spencer Petras has about as good as good of an arm as any Iowa quarterback I think I've seen since maybe maybe Ricky Stanzi, and that might include C.J. Beathard. Uh, but I, I like what they have on offense. Tyler Goodson is a great running back who I think could just run through this Kent State defense. And then defensively, Iowa always has the pieces defensively. Just, uh, I mean, they're always good at linebacker. They always have guys that are great in the secondary, and they constantly produce NFL talent out of there. So I think Iowa's going to be a good counter for Kent State. And I do think that the A&M game and the Iowa game are both probably going to be losses for the Golden Flashes. But Maryland is where things get interesting because Maryland's a pretty winnable game for top tier Mac teams, almost any season. And Kent state actually has a Maryland transfer on the team. who started a lot of games with the Terrapins in their secondary Antoine Richardson. And I yeah. think the arrival of him at safety is going to allow Dean Clark, their leading tackler last year to really soothe into that linebacker position and try to improve that unit because they kind of had a scenario on their hands where they had too many guys that they didn't really know who was going to start in the secondary with K.J. Sherald returning and Elvis Hines still back, getting Antoine Richardson from the transfer portal, and then uh, having Richie Carpenter Jr., one of their other safeties, back on the roster. So I do like that move, Dean Clark. But talking about that Maryland game, uh, the Terrapins last year, I mean, they did show some flashes of brilliance on their offense, especially in that Friday night game against Minnesota, where they had a nice comeback and win with Talia Tagovailoa. Uh, having a career day there and running back Jake Funk also rushing for over 200 yards that day. Now Funk is gone, but they still have some other veteran running backs like Tyon Fleet Davis, who had a really good game against Texas a few years ago. So I think Maryland does have offensive weapons this year. They recruit really well, but I, I do think that the Terrapins defense is somewhat of a question this year. And that was pretty evident last year when they gave up 43 points to Northwestern, the opener. So I think this game could be a nice, good old-fashioned shootout between these teams. And if I had to pick right now, I think I would choose Kent State to win this game. Kent State's done – they've done solid against even some of these non-conference opponents that they've scheduled in recent years. I remember they had Illinois on the ropes a few years ago. I think it was game one of the Sean Lewis era. They also had Ole Miss within one possession that season. They they had Penn State close uh, one of the years with Sean Lewis, I think, right before the half. Mm -hmm. And also they had Auburn, I think, within like 14 points in the third quarter recently. Kent State was really well in these non-conference games. Uh, another one in the 2019 season opener, I think Arizona State was only up 10-0 to at halftime on Kent State, and that was a matter of getting the offense going. Uh, so – Kent State usually plays pretty well in these games, and I think that they can get one 
non-conference win this year besides their FCS team. And I think that would be against Maryland in week four. Yeah, I think we're, we're on the same page there. Um, I, I just got to say real quick, as a quick aside, uh, you mentioned Ricky Stanzi. There's a college football name I haven't thought of in a, in a couple of years from Iowa. That's, that's, a, that's a nice reference there. Um, certainly anyone that's, that watches the Big Ten remembers him. So, yeah, I think obviously we're, we're going to count VMI as a win. I'm with you, though. I think Maryland is a very, very winnable game for the Golden Flashes. If you pick up that win there, you enter into the MAC season at 2-2 two and two overall. You get your first two MAC games at home with Bowling Green coming into Kent and then Buffalo as well. I think we can agree that the Kent, that Kent State shouldn't have any problem with the Falcons. I would also say that you know, obviously after last year, a little bit of a revenge game with Buffalo, and also with the fact that Buffalo has lost so much this offseason, both from their roster and their coaching staff. I think those are two games that, in my mind, Kent State should win both of those games. Then you go to Western Michigan and Ohio those next two weeks. If you can get to, you know, four and two, two and oh, after six weeks there, best case scenario, you go into Western Michigan, obviously a cross divisional game and then down to Athens. I think if everything rolls Kent State's way, they could potentially be six and two heading into that last third of the season. But even still, even if one of these coin flip games goes the other way, I think, you know, five and three feels about, you know, feels pretty realistic for Kent State going into what going into November. Yes, uh, I like that they get Northern Illinois as one of their crossover games. Mm -hmm. They also get Central Western Michigan, avoiding Ball State and Toledo, which I think might be a little tough matchups for Kent State. So I think that their schedule and MAC play plays out fa pretty favorably. I'm pretty sure they uh, enjoy getting their first two games at home after having a very road-ridden non-conference schedule. So I think the... I think having Bowling Green to start Mac play is really good for Kent State to get something established and start 1-0 in conference play before the tougher opponents start rolling in. So that'll be a good break after going through that grind of A&M and Iowa. And I think every game on the schedule is a winnable game for Kent State. And I, I think I mentioned it when we were previewing Miami. I feel like that game on November 27th, which is that – is that a Saturday or Black Friday? I'm not sure which day it is. But that game between Miami and Kent State, to me, looks like a MAC East playing game for the MAC championship game. I, I think Miami's a pretty well-balanced team, good defensively, good developing quarterback in Blaine Gabbert. And then you have Kent State that just has an offense that can blow opponents away and can score and can score on a snap. And they're never really out of any game just with the – the quickness and the execution of the offense. So I think that that game on November 27th is going to determine if Kent State's going to participate in their first MAC championship game in nine years. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think the two games I have circled here uh, for Kent State, at least in, in MAC play this year, is that game against the Red Hawks. And I also think that October 16th game when they have to go to Kalamazoo to take on the Broncos. I think those are the two games there, at least in terms of the max season that are really going to set the tone for them and, and kind of determine whether or not they have a successful season. But when you look at this schedule, I agree with you. I think I like how the schedule sets up for them. You get your first two Mac games at home after playing three of four on the road to open the year. Um, you know, you mentioned, you know, the crossover games getting, you know, central Michigan and Northern Illinois and Western Michigan. Uh, certainly it could be worse there. You know, this is a team I, I, I easily could see Kent State winning eight or nine games this year, maybe even 10 if things break their way. It feels like this is a team that they have the talent and the coaching staff. It feels like this could be the best Kent State team we've seen in quite some time, maybe even better than that 2012 team uh, with, with Daryl Hazell. I'm curious to get your thoughts, Steve. If, if, if Kent State has a season that we think they might have, let's say they finish eight and four, go to the MAC championship game, nine and three, go to the MAC championship game. Is this, I mean, I feel like it's pretty likely, but want to get your thoughts. Like, do you feel like this is the last year for Sean Lewis in, in Northeast Ohio, if Kent state does have a year that they, that we think they could have? Yes. I, I my prediction this year is that Kent state's going to go nine and three with one loss in MAC play. And I think that they're going to represent the conference in the MAC championship game and Sean Lewis with, Considering where he inherited this program and where they're at now, I think the offer's there if he wants it. 
I don't know what his decision will be. We've seen some coaches turn down certain jobs in recent years and stay at programs. I don't know what Sean Lewis's plans are and where he wants to end up. If he wants to end up being the successor to Paul Christ at Wisconsin or uh, when Christ finally is done, which isn't really in the foreseeable future, but uh, I don't know what Sean Lewis's goals are, but I know that the offer is going to be on the table at the end of the season. We see some teams in some conferences struggling. I mean, uh, Big Ten likes to hire MAC coaches right now in the Big Ten, some coaches on the hot seat. Uh, shout out to Nebraska today, who got some violations handed to them. Yes. And Scott Frost still has to, yet to register a winning season there. So I think you have to look at Nebraska there. Maryland, for as well as they recruit, they, they've really underperformed and they haven't had a winning season in quite some time. So the Terrapins are another team to look at for coaches on hot seats there. And Michigan State, I know that Mel Tucker's pretty uh, early into his tenure, but Michigan State doesn't seem to be trending in the direction that they hope post-D'Antonio era. So if the Spartans continue a bit of a landslide here. I wouldn't be surprised if they think Sean Lewis is the guy who's going to reinvigorate the offense because when I look at Big Ten teams that need offense right now, I think I'd look at Michigan State more than any other team in the conference. So I think those are three teams that you'd have to look at if that might want to get in contact with Sean Lewis. If Kent State has the season that we think he has. And if they beat Texas A&M or Iowa, you guarantee that those calls are coming in if they finish with eight or nine wins. So yeah. we'll, we'll see in November and December. My personal take is I don't think any coaching changes should even be allowed until the national championships played in January, because I'm so sick of bowl games just being destroyed by coach, new coaches. I mean, that like the 19 cotton bowl where, Memphis coach without Mike Norvell or the 2012 Orange Bowl where NIU had to coach without Dave Doran and yeah. I just hate that for the players and I think it's really unfair to them so that's that's just an aside of how I'd prefer things to go in college football but you know in November that those rumors are going to start. Yeah I couldn't agree more with that last point you made I, I think that would be a great policy to be in place but uh you know, it is what it is, unfortunately. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with the Golden Flashes this year. But certainly if they have this type of season that they want to have that we think they're capable of having, it certainly may be Sean Lewis's last there uh, in Northeast Ohio. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's flip over to the Western division here, Steve. Um, I, you know, if, if you, if you feel like there's a common theme here of talking about veteran teams and teams with a ton of returning production back, it's because there is here in the Mac and another one of them, those teams is Western Michigan, the Broncos, uh, and Tim Lester's fifth year. Uh, they went four and two last year. Obviously everyone I'm sure remembers that thrilling victory over Toledo, uh, they had a chance to go to the MAC championship game before losing to Ball State 30 to 27 in that last week of the regular season with another game with a crazy ending there uh, with that last second touchdown getting called back after a number of, uh, of, of laterals for, for the Broncos. Curious to get your thoughts on kind of the state of the program here, Steve, because I, it seems like, you know, the Western Michigan fans that I interact with that I talk to on Twitter they all seem to be a little bit underwhelmed by with what Tim Lester has done over the last four years after that magical 2016 season when the Broncos went 13 and one uh, with their only loss being in the Cotton Bowl to Wisconsin. 
they have as much talent as almost anyone in the conference this year, but you're coming off of, you know, prior to last year's four and two season, you're seven and six, seven and six, six and six. It seems like they've kind of just been trending water as a program, but it feels like they might be primed for a little bit of a better year this year. I agree. Western Michigan had that 2016 season and it's, it's really turned into a one hit wonder. I remember on that 2017 on the day after us, uh, the season after USC was in the top five, I think, and Western Michigan had them going neck, neck and neck until the fourth quarter and everything slipped away in that fourth quarter. And Western Michigan hasn't really recaptured that elite program status since. And uh, the Tim Lester era, this will be season number five for Tim Lester. And he has yet to get more than seven wins in a season when a lot of times it felt like eight and five, nine and four, and were really on the table. And I'm kind of shocked that Western Michigan never returned to the MAC championship since, considering all the talent that they had on their roster with John Wasink, uh, Levante Bellamy, Dwayne Eskridge. Uh, I know the main part of it was injuries. Those three guys that I named all suffered season ending injuries. And they had a lot of those injuries to affect the defensive side of the ball with a guy like Justin Tranquil, who was a star safety there. And it seemed like he was there for six, seven years just due to all the injuries. So that has definitely been a problem with Western Michigan. But I thought last year's team really should have gone to the MAC championship game. And maybe they would have in an elongated season. They had Ball State early in that game and Ball State came back and ended up beating them and if Sky Moore didn't throw one of his laterals like a foot forward Western Michigan wins that game on probably the craziest ending in college football history so this this Western Michigan team has had so much talent run through it and they get guys drafted every year uh, when you think of the linemen that they've had recently go through the program like Taylor Moten, uh, Chukwuma Okorafor uh Jalen Moore who was drafted by the 49ers last year they've had so many good linemen go through this program I've had a lot of good running backs go through this program Jarvion Franklin Jamari Bogan Levante Bellamy and they have so much offensive talent and I think fans just want to see that that come to fruition and result in another back championship game appearance which shockingly hasn't happened yet and one other thing's fans really want about western michigan is to change the logo back because yes so many comments i i'll, I'll we'll, we'll tweet something from hustle belt about western michigan and we'll get a response to say don't care change the logo back and it's hilarious uh, i mean I, I i agree with them i think the w circle is not as good as the bronco logo for the identity of the program but that's another interesting storyline that uh, Western Michigan fans versus their new logo this year is going to be one of my favorite rivalries in college football. It's hilarious. I, I don't know that I recall seeing a fan base so united against something that their own team has done. Like that has nothing to do with anything on the field. Like it's all, it seems like it's almost unanimous how much Western yes. Michigan fans dislike this rebrand and players. Talking. Yeah, Darius Phillips, uh, he tweeted the Western Michigan football team when he saw the logo. <laughs> I, he said, I didn't even go there. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. So I feel like a lot of it could be, uh, you know, a lot of that could be, um, a lot of those fears or those concerns could be, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they could be lessened a little bit if they just would put the Bronco on the helmet as opposed to the W. I don't mm-hmm. know. It, it's, it's crazy. It, it, it is pretty crazy, but if we're talking about on the field itself, you know, you, you mentioned the, the offensive firepower that they've had over the years, obviously on this specific team, it, it all, it sucks to lose Dwayne Eskridge. I mean, he was probably, if not the best receiver in the Mac last year, one of the two or three best receivers in the Mac led them conference with eight touchdowns, obviously got drafted in the second round by the Seahawks, but there's still, still a lot of talent coming back here. I mean, you got Sky Moore, who uh, was first team all Mac two years ago as a freshman. He averaged 15 yards a carry last year. You also have Jalen Hall coming back. He was third team all Mac last year. He only had 12 catches all season, but seven of them were touchdowns. I mean, these are, you know, these are, this is a, still a very deep uh, receiving group. Obviously, you know, we talked about a good, um, uh, running back room with Kent State. I think the same thing applies here with Western Michigan. Ladarius Jefferson was second team all Mac last year. You also have Sean Tyler back. He averaged 6.5 yards a carry last year. Jackson Kincaid is a third back, averaged seven yards a carry last year. And then you look at this offensive line. You mentioned some of the offensive linemen that 
the Broncos have produced over the last, you know, decade or so. I think uh, Mike Caliendo, the, the center for the Broncos this year, is just as good as any of them. He was first team All-Mac last season. And uh, this is a, an offensive line that only allowed seven sacks in five games last year. Obviously losing Jalen Moore hurts, but um, they're going to, you know, they're shuffling things around a little on the offensive line. Uh, Wesley French, who was the center of last season, is going to move out to, to the left, uh, left tackle to, provide, to um, protect Caleb Ellaby's blind side. And that leads me to the quarterback situation, Steve. I mean, we haven't even really mentioned Caleb Ellaby. When we talk about great quarterbacks in the MAC, everyone wants to talk about Dustin Crum, Drew Plitt, uh, you know, even Gabbert from Miami of Ohio. And, and I'm not taking anything away from any of those guys. But when you look at Caleb Ellaby's numbers last year, I mean, 64.7% completion, 1,700 yards, 18 touchdowns, two interceptions. It feels like he might be like the most underappreciated quarterback in the conference. I think so. And he has, he has a lot of uh, pop to his arm. And Tim Lester said last year, along with Elijah Sindelar and all the, who's a former Purdue quarterback, along with all the quarterbacks he's ever coached, he's never seen somebody with the arm strength of Caleb Ellaby. And Ellaby really needs that arm strength for this offense because Western Michigan goes deep so often. And if you look at some of the receiving averages of the guys on the roster last year, there's, there's some that are near 20 over 20. And that just is a testament to how great LB's arm is downfield. And he's incredibly efficient, too, for some of the difficult throws that he makes. I just remember watching him pick apart Toledo along those final drives of that comeback win. And I, I, I remember a throw that he got to Dwayne Eskridge on the two-yard line, I think, where Eskridge leaped. It was an, a, a ball that only Eskridge could catch. And it was in the perfect place on the two-yard line. I watch that throw. I'm thinking, this guy has so much talent in his arm. And the accuracy that he's able to accomplish that is incredible. He finished third last year in quarterback rating. Number one was Mac Jones, who might be the starting quarterback for the Patriots this year. Number two was Zach Wilson, who might be the starting quarterback for the Jets this year. So that's two NFL quarterbacks that were one and two, basically. And LB had 18 touchdowns and two interceptions. I think he's also mastered the RPO slant, which is my favorite play Western Michigan runs because anytime a cornerback is, is kind of lagging off, they're not in press coverage. Western Michigan really exposes that. Uh, and they have a lot of speed in their receiving unit and LB is able to get those throws off in a perfect position, perfect placement and get the, and get it to those receivers. And those receivers are able to do a lot of damage on some of those routes. So I think Western Michigan runs a good offense for, as much criticism Tim Lester's got for treading water since the 2016 Cotton Bowl, I think that Western Michigan has some good offensive play calls. But then there's just some games where it just feels like they make mistake after mistake in, like, the turnover department. And that was why they lost to Eastern Michigan last year. And just the turnovers were killer that game. And Eastern Michigan dropped over 50 on the scoreboard because their defense wasn't helping. So if Western Michigan's able to get more of an assistance in that area – I think uh, then Caleb Ellaby will be able to cook with a lot of comfort. Yes, three solid running backs returning. None of them are Levante Bellamy caliber yet. And they're not guys that are just going to break away for 80 yard touchdowns like him. But I think it's a good rotation, kind of like Kent State we mentioned earlier with the two transfer running backs, Ladarius Jefferson and Jackson Kincaid, along with Sean Tyler. And then they're receiving cores deep. They don't have Eskridge anymore, which kind of stinks because he was about half of their production last year. But Sky Moore has been tremendous, and he was really important to that 2019 team. And Jalen Hall has had three good years as a Bronco and was a touchdown machine last year. So I really like all the pieces that they have on this offense. And with Mike Caliendo on, on the interior offensive line, I think that they can have some good places there too. I mean, this team produces, as I said earlier with the draft, one offensive lineman leaves and then the next one just gets produced and goes to the draft a few years later. And that's something that Western Michigan's done an incredible job with over time. So I like, I like their pieces on offense this year. And similar to what I said, Al Kent state earlier is this is a team that I want to see more defensively of. Yeah, I I'm with you there. I think the defense um, for, for Western Michigan, not quite as bad as, as what we dealt with with Kent state last year, but certainly not great. I mean, this is a team gave up, uh, you know, over 40 points uh, twice, uh, a couple other games, you know, over 30 as well, gave up, finished the year 34.2 points per game. 
And I like similar, I guess kind of similar to Penn or to Kent State. I, I like what I ha- they have here on the back end. I mean, Bryson Gardner, first team all Mac last year at safety. You also have, you know, AJ Thomas uh, help, you know, kind of give this group a veteran presence. Um, one of the better defensive back rooms in the conference, I think. When you look at the linebackers, though, obviously, you know, Treshawn Howard transfers to um, to Arizona. He's gone. He led the team with 58 tackles last year. Corvin Moment and, and Zaire Barnes are back, uh, but there's not a ton of depth with the linebackers. I like Ralph Hawley and Ali Fayette on the defensive line, but even around those guys, there's going to be other guys that I think are going to need to step up for the Broncos this year. Very similar to Kent State. I don't really have any questions about the offense here for the Broncos, but I think there's I, there, there seem to be some depth issues on defense, and, and I'm going to need to see, especially with the linebackers, going to need to see some young guys step up and, and help fill some of those holes, or else this could be a, a tough year for the Broncos defensively. Yes, linebackers, and I, I would also add the cornerback uh, position for Western Michigan are areas I'd like to see some improvement on. And AJ Thomas, uh, one of their safeties from past years, moving outside linebacker, and I think that could help. He started uh, two games at cornerback last year and four games at safety, so he's a very versatile player at 6'2", 220. And I think with his skill set, I think a linebacker is going to be a perfect position for him as somebody who can operate in coverage and uh, dominate the line of scrimmage as he did when he played safety earlier. So I think moving A.J. Thomas there is going to help the team a lot in that area. But yeah, replacing Treshawn Hayward is going to be tough because he was a former MAC defensive player of the year and just a tackling machine. Being uh, that vacancy in the middle isn't really going to help too much. But yeah. Uh, Ali Fayad is probably one of the best pass rushers in this conference. He had uh, 13 tackles for loss in 2019 and 11 2018, and has been really good at getting off blocks and controlling running backs at the line of scrimmage. So he's he's the piece on this defense that I like the most. And I, I think I just need to see Western Michigan not have a performance like they had against Eastern Michigan last December where they allowed the Eagles 500 over 500 yards and over 50 points. And I think a lot of that comes to stopping teams on third downs. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I can just guarantee that Western Michigan had one of the worst third down efficiencies last year. Cause mm-hmm. it seemed like they did, they, they get their stops on first and second down. And at the worst moment, another team would just make a big play on them. And Western Michigan really needs to quell that I think to improve and, but the passing defense was an issue last year. And I know Eastern Michigan was able to uh, air it out on them for free and ball state in that comeback too. So I think that that's the area of improvement that I hope Western Michigan makes in order to become a contender and return to Detroit for the first time in five years. Yeah, for sure. We're going to need to see some, uh, that's a good point you make about the cornerbacks because you got, you have Bryson Gardner and AJ Thomas, kind of the veteran senior presences at the two safety positions. And then, we're going to need to see some guys step up on, on the outside there. Curious, uh, looking at the schedule for the Broncos here, Steve, they have one of the more intriguing non-conference schedules of any team in the MAC. You got two power five games. You go to Ann Arbor to take on Michigan in week one, and then you go to Pitt at Heinz Field in week three. Illinois State and FCS team sandwich in between them in week two. But then – September 25th, week four, a game that I have had scheduled on my calendar for quite some time now. One of the better non-conference group of five games, I think, this year. San Jose State and Nick Stark will travel to Kalamazoo to take on the Broncos. That's a very intriguing game to me, uh, Stephen. I think it'll be a very, very good barometer to see kind of where the Broncos are at that point in the season. I'm not sure I see them necessarily picking up a, a win against either of those power five teams, perhaps an outside shot when they go to pit. Um, but I, I don't know. I think there, this is an intriguing non-conference schedule for me when I look at the Broncos this year. Yes. And anything can happen when Pitt is involved in a game True. Pitt is a, that can beat Clemson and Pitt is the same team that can barely skate by FCS team Delaware, like a week after doing so. Yes. That's <laughs> that is the identity of the Pittsburgh Panthers. And I know that they lost a lot of guys on defense this past year, like Rashad Weaver. I think uh, some of those safeties, Hamlin and Ford, that were really uh, working out well for the team the past couple of years. So I think Pitt's going to take a bit, a bit of a this year. Uh, 
I think Kenny Pickett's still there for like his 18th year as their starting quarterback, though. Yeah, he's been there since I was in middle school, it feels like. (laughs) That's going to be an interesting matchup for Western Michigan. I feel like that's going to be like when they play Syracuse in the past years, and it's kind of a high-scoring game, and Western Michigan's like kind of hanging a step behind the entire time, but they're within striking distance. Yeah. And I feel like that's going to be one of those games for Western Michigan there at Heinz Field this year. I, I, I call that pick game kind of a toss up. I call that San Jose State game kind of a toss up too, with it being in Waldo Stadium. I, I want to see more out of San Jose State this year. Last year, they were just prepared in that pandemic season, and their defense was pretty stifling early on in the season uh, in some of those key wins over Air Force and Nevada. But offensively, they were also excellent. I think that they have a lot of good guys on their offensive line I love their tight end Derek Deese Jr and you mentioned Nick Starkle uh quarterback that's had several stops uh, along the way in the SEC is finally finding success in San Jose State and I think that's going to be an interesting matchup between two really good uh two, two pretty good teams that are both contenders in their respective conferences and I think that the fact that it's being played in Waldo Stadium could benefit Western Michigan against a West Coast team in there so, and I didn't even touch on earlier that Michigan game. I don't know what Michigan is. Yet. Like, I don't know if I believe in Cade McNamara is their starting quarterback yet. I do like Hassan Haskins, their starting running back, and I think Bell's a good receiver. So I think they have a couple pieces on offense, and then Aiden Hutchinson's still there on defense as a star defensive end. But Michigan just didn't get things together last year as a team. And I mean, last year's iteration of Western Michigan, I think, could have easily taken down the Wolverines. Uh, Michigan doesn't lose to Mac teams often. Last time was 2008 against Toledo. And I, I really, I, I don't know. Michigan's like one of the biggest variables this season for me because, I mean, sometimes they have pretty bad seasons and like they come back from it. Like uh, in 2000, they went from 2014, I think they met, uh, they were around 500. And then 2015, Jim Harbaugh takes them to, uh, 10 and three season. And then we've seen them bounce back from kind of a mediocre 2017 where they lost to South Carolina in that bowl game. And then in 2018, they were back into the new year six territory. So Michigan's kind of been an oscillating wave in the Jim Harbaugh era, uh, going between about 500 and then competing for new year six bowls. So I don't know which version of Michigan we're going to get this year, but when I look at the team it's a lot of the same guys from last year and I'm kind of wondering if Western Michigan has a shot in that game so yeah I think I think all three of those non-conference games are interesting I'm with you and and especially with Michigan you know I, I haven't been able to figure them out here for the last few years under Jim Harbaugh as you mentioned I'm not sold on the quarterback situation they have there I believe last time I checked the spread there I think uh I, w- I want to say Michigan was a 17 point favorite in that game, which feels like a little bit much to me, given all the question marks that the, the Wolverines have going into this season in Ann Arbor, certainly a very intriguing non-conference schedule for the Broncos. You figure, I don't know, two, two and two feels, feels about right. Maybe three and one, if they can, if they can steal one of those other games, uh, we'll see what happens there. What's that? One and three wouldn't shock me, though, if they lost mm. to Michigan, Pitt, and San Jose State. Yeah, that's fair. I, I that's fair. I'd expect one and three more than three and one. I, think I, I can agree two, with that. I think two and two is, a, two and two is a safe bet, and that means they won a good game. That means they beat San Jose State or Michigan, and all three of those are quality victories for a MAC team. Uh, so, yeah, it's – it's kind of like a lessened version of Kent State's non-conference schedule of one FCS team and three other challenging games. But yeah, I, I think Western Michigan has a two or one and three start to the season. Yeah. And then when you look at the, the opening month of MAC play, a tough way to start the year in the, in the conference for the Broncos, you go to Buffalo uh, to open up the max season. Then you get Ball State and Kent State, both at home, but those are obviously two of the, the favorites to win the conference. Then uh, in week eight, you go to Toledo, 
on October 23rd. Man, that feels like four games there that are going to end up being coin flips for the Broncos. If they do start one and three, maybe, you know, you go into that Buffalo game with a little bit of a lack of confidence, maybe if you're, if you're one and three at that point, it feels like this middle stretch of the season for the Broncos is really going to make or break the year for them. Yes. And I could see, I could see them going. This feels like a similar slate where I could see them like one and three, two and two, and maybe three and one if they are a better team than I expect this year. But even if they're two and six going into the home stretch of their schedule, I really like how it plays out from there. And I won't be surprised if they finish the year four now against their final opponents in Central Michigan, Akron, Eastern Michigan, who they've struggled with in the past two seasons, and Northern Illinois to close out the year. So Western Michigan, if it plays out favorably at the end of the year, but they don't really get too many breaks before that. I mean, the only game before before Akron on November 9th that I can look at and say Western Michigan's winning that game with at least 70% probability is when they play Illinois State, their FCS team. So yeah. Western Michigan, a lot of challenges, a lot of teams of similar or slightly higher caliber to it on its schedule. And the, the schedule is one reason that I just I don't see them representing the Mac West in Detroit this year. I think they have a lot of talent on the team, and I think Ellaby's the best quarterback West division. But there, there's this is a challenging grind that they have to run through this year, and I'm not sure that their defense is as strong as other defenses in the conference, such as Ball State. So I don't know if they'll be able to get back to the MAC championship game this year. Yeah, I hear you. And, and the way the schedule sets up is, is certainly not kind to the Broncos. I think you and I share the same concerns about the defense. Looking at the, the Vegas uh, win totals for the year, uh, currently on DraftKings, the Broncos sitting at six. And so there's, you know, that feels about right. A lot of coin flip games on this schedule. And you look at the last couple of full seasons for the Broncos, six and six, seven and six, seven and six. You know, it feels like if, if things break their way, I could see eight and four, something like that. But, you know, there, there's a lot of tough games on here. Again, you know, it doesn't help that you get a crossover game against uh, against Kent State. And then, you know, we talked about the non-conference already. So certainly going to be another interesting year for the Broncos. And uh, we'll see what happens with them. As we said, Tim Lester entering his fifth season uh, at the helm in uh, in Kalamazoo. That's going to wrap it up this week for our, our season previews. Uh, Steve, before we get out of here, I wanted to put you on the spot and ask you, we're about, you know, two weeks from now, we'll be talking about actual football games on week one. I wanted to get your thoughts. What's, a, what's a, the game you're looking forward to the most in week one? It doesn't have to be a Mac game. Any game week one that really, really kind of catches your attention. Well, I'm actually going to one on week one. I'll be in Orlando for – UCF versus Boise State, it feels like the team that the team that kind of challenged the BCS against the team that challenged the college football playoff. So you have that storyline going at it. And the two coaching debuts, Andy Avalos, who was a former defensive coordinator at Boise State, making his return to the program after Brian Harson left to Auburn. And then speaking of Auburn, former Auburn coach Gus Malzahn is now the head man at UCF, and he's done a great job of loading that team from the transfer portal this offseason and even landing recruits over Florida, getting five stars to visit campus. And I think Gus Malzahn is the perfect guy at the perfect time for that UCF program. So that's a Thursday night game at ESPN. And I don't think that there's many nights that get me as hyped as the first. Week zero is good, but that Thursday night, when you yes. know that you're about to get a whole of college football, that Thursday night always gives you such a good taste in your mouth just of some of the games that uh, kick off that weekend. You usually get to see some some teams from good conferences play uh, that weekend. Sometimes Big Ten will have a couple games to start the year, as will the ACC on those nights. So I think it's going to be a great start to the season. That UCF-Boise State game is one game I'm really looking forward to on the Thursday. And then Saturday, uh, I'm just going to say that there's a Clemson-Georgia game, which is going to be spectacular. And then Penn State-Wisconsin is a matchup between two ranked teams. And then one other one I'd like to point out as a sleeper pick is Texas versus Louisiana, which is another ranked matchup there. And so those, those are three games I'm really looking forward to Saturday. And I think this is one of the best. 
yeah, it is a solid week one slate for sure. I'm with you though. That that was uh, that was going to be my pick. Is that Louisiana uh, Texas game? The raging Cajuns traveling down to uh, to Austin. Levi Lewis obviously back for at quarterback for uh, Billy Napier's squad. Really, really intrigued to see that game. I also another one that maybe uh, maybe a little bit under the radar, and and maybe I'm the only this way because I love watching offensive football and I love points. But uh, Texas Tech taking on Houston there in week one, another one that interests me as well. I think a lot of cool storylines in that game. I really like to see. I think I think both teams could score 50 points in that game potentially. But anyway, folks. We are so close to uh, to week one of football here, just around the corner. I know you're all waiting for it and, and are as ready for it as we are. So uh, we're going to finish up our season previews next week with Ball State and Buffalo, and then that'll lead us right into week one, and we will have some actual games to discuss, uh, which we are really, really looking forward to. Thanks again for tuning in this week, as always. Hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. We're one week closer to football. Uh, enjoy it. And we will see you guys back here next week. Thanks for tuning in.